Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third edition of the NFNL podcast. Great to have you with us. I'm Samuel Zito, joined again by Jordan Canellis. Jordan, we have had now two weeks of the NFNL season. It's been really intriguing, to say the very least. We get somewhat of a break this weekend. We have the Easter weekend. Of course, there still is one game in action. Good Friday football at Greensboro War Memorial Park, where Greensboro hosts lower plenty across three grades of football. But... The opening two weekends of footy, and particularly the one that have gone by, have really raised some interesting stories after the first fortnight. Yes, hello again, Samuel. And uh, yeah, I think my, um, I'm just sort of thinking back now to last week, I think my comment of a new generation in, in the Northern Football Netball League has, has sort of um, been born this year. It looks like it's carrying on into the second week, still early in the season, but... Um, the, the traditional powerhouses, you look in Division 1, McLeod haven't got a win yet, Bandura a bit shaky with 1-1, one and one. and then it's almost the old guard who are back at the top. You've got the traditionally big um, Division 1 uh, teams from, from this part of the world in previous uh, incarnations of the league, Heidelberg, Northcote Park and, and Greensboro, who have all enjoyed great success um, throughout uh, throughout the, the grand history of this league. They're all on top in Division 1 at the moment. So the table's kind of shifted around. We've, we've gone through a cycle, and, and now we're just uh, we're at, we're at a stage where um, it's funny, like, this league, it, it's weird how much it parallels the AFL. We've said it a couple of times, where there's been teams who have identical seasons um, to AFL teams, and it's it's almost like that again this year. The AFL, you're getting results where you have no idea who's going to win, and it's like that here as well. We've got no idea who's going to win most most of the time. Some some really surprising results. Absolutely. I mean, look at Meadows Greyhounds Division One. We've got last year's two grand finalists without a win after the opening two weeks of the season. You look into the A plus Labor Solutions Division Two, and a side like Watsonia are proving to be the feel good story of the season so far. They've gone through the opening two games with two convincing victories after only winning one game all of last year, which yeah. came in the final round of the season. And then you look even into Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3, and it just seems to be a bit of a regeneration of a few sides as well. Uh, Heidelberg West is, is playing some good footy there, two and zip. Lorimer, one of the newer sides of the comp, so a really good start, and, and Panton Hills, like it's the mainstay in that competition. They've had a, a great start as well, as evidenced by the... Massive win they had against South Morang at the weekend. Also, over the course of the weekend, we had the completion of the opening round in the NFNL women's competition. It was a round that was played across four days of football, so it took a while to get to the end, but it was great to see four new clubs in action. Heidelberg made an immediate impact in their first game in the NFNL women's. They had a massive win over Hurst Bridge at Warringal Park. What I loved about that was... I mean, the results obviously are shame that it was so one-sided, but how the two clubs worked together to get that game played directly after the men's game as well. So there was a great atmosphere at Warringal Park. The men's game actually started half an hour earlier to ensure that the women's game was a twilight game at 4.15. Obviously, we had lovely conditions on Saturday, so the game played in, in you know nice sunshine. And obviously, as it got darker late, it wasn't wasn't too dark by game's end. And it was good to see that that happened. At, uh, you know, throughout the, the entire first round also happened West Preston Lakeside played a game directly after the men the weekend prior. Also, some of the other two new clubs coming in as well were Reservoir and Wallen. So great to see them involved. Wallen getting the win there by uh, by four goals against the Mustangs. Now, I know you're part of the media team, Samuel. You're not 
exactly part of the the fixturing, but how is the league having uh, going, having to try and accommodate for all these extra teams that are coming in, the the, the wave of women's football and, and trying to work out where to put them and how to schedule them on a weekend? Yeah, it's probably one that's better for the uh, <laughs> footy ops boss, Simon Devine, but it, it can logistically be at times be, be a bit tough, but obviously in our competition with the women's, there are some women's sides that aren't aligned to men's sides as well so it can help on, on particular weekends when you've got sides like Darabin and whatnot we don't have too many you know scheduling clashes as well but what's been great is the way it's been embraced uh, right throughout the, the, the competition you look at a side like Bandura, Montmorency, just to name a few how they've really embraced women's footy as well. Montmorency's got two sides this year. Mm. Bandura, well, their women's side's undefeated, get a lot of support from the men's side as well. Gary Moorcroft, coach of that side as well and West Preston Lakeside too, they've obviously been so strong in their first two seasons, played off in a grand final in their first year and they won a premiership last year as well and yeah. they often play over the first couple of years have played on the same day as their men's side as well. So uh, it's about working together with, with that. Obviously, it can become an issue right through to the juniors as well because we've just got so many more sides coming into the competition and it doesn't matter whether it's boys, girls, men's, women's, just make, you know, getting ground availability. Obviously, there's been a lot of upgrading of facilities as well that needs to take place to ensure you've got the adequate, adequate change rooms as well that when they are playing on the same day, there's opportunities for, for players to prepare for the game in, in their own privacy. Yeah, it's probably, uh, it's I reckon the, the growth of of the Northern Football League in particular is probably a bit more unique to some of the other Metro Leagues. Maybe the West might be experiencing this as well, but just the urban sprawl and people moving further outwards past sort of the fringes of traditional suburban Melbourne. You've got new new areas going up sort of past Mernda Way. So the general population of this area is growing, and I suppose you're seeing that in, in the numbers here in this league. Absolutely, and it's great that we keep getting those those record numbers as well. So uh, we could probably speak about that for, for quite yeah, some time we as well. We'll try and keep our focus uh, on the weekend's footy that's just gone. We'll go to a short break. On the other side of this, we'll take a look at round two that's been in Meadows Greyhounds Division 1. You are listening to the NFNL Podcast. The Meadows is a functions and events centre with a difference. Only 25 minutes from the city and 10 minutes from the airport with free parking, Wi-Fi and AV access. It's the ideal venue for your next conference, trade show, expo or seminar. You can even hold an event on a Greyhound race night for extra entertainment. And don't forget the Meadows' new loyalty program, the 525 Club. Download it free from your app store. For more info, visit themeadowsevents.com.au. Four games have been completed in round two of Meadows Greyhounds Division 1, of course, as we said from the outset, Greensboro to take on Lowell Plenty this Friday, Good Friday footy at Greensboro War Memorial Park. The main game, the senior game, should be a cracker as well. Greensboro had a flying start in round one, had a massive win over Hurst Bridge, winning that one by more than 100 points. Lower plenty, well, they'll take plenty of confidence out of the fact that they knocked over Montmorency in their first game, started their return to the top flight with a win. So that's going to be a challenge for Lower plenty, but... Certainly, with both sides 1 and 0, they can extend what would be a great start to the year. You can also hear that game on Plenty Valley FM this Friday. Coverage starting from 2pm. The weekend that's just gone, Jordan, plenty of interesting stories. You might take a look first at what took place at Montmorency Park, where Gary Ramsey had a win first up against his former side, McLeod. That would have been a pretty sweet win for his side against a McLeod side that wasn't at full strength, but... When you have a loss in round one, as Montmorency did, you take the wins any way you can. A great eight-point victory in what turned out to be a shootout. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, yeah, high-scoring game, as you said, 117 to, to 109, the final scores. And um, generally pretty accurate, especially on Montmorency's part, 18-9. 
uh, on the scoreboard. But yeah, the story definitely Gary Ramsey, and he is the he is the main factor for Montmorency this season. We know they've got some elite players. Uh, in there as well with the likes of Jesse Donaldson and, and Patrick Fitzgerald, who have both been, um, you know, key parts of, of them, of their side, and also the rep team, and Ben Walton as well, I think is battling a bit of an injury. But um, but Gary Ramsey, you feel like he is the main sort of factor now at, at Montmorency. He's the one, it's going to be off his back. Obviously, the coaches are always an important part, but Gary Ramsey in particular is has a, a great influence. So, um, yeah, and I think people were sort of doubting uh, maybe Montmorency a little bit. They lost a few key players, didn't quite bring in uh, much in the uh, in the off season. They're going to blight a lot of young talent. Scary Ramsey's good at doing that, but um, that's a, that's a big win. That's a statement win to start the season. Absolutely. What I liked is that he hasn't changed course. He always said that he wanted to bring in the youth. We saw him do that at McLeod as well, but that it. Pretty disappointing loss first up. Lost some key players at the at the weekend uh, going into the game. No Michael Fitzgerald, Ben Walton, Matty White, Matthew Hunt, all out of that round one side, but brought in the kids and it you know, it paid dividends. So a few of those playing some really good games and they had some great efforts from you know the skipper Jesse Donaldson, Paddy Fitzgerald kicked five, Steve McCullum played well, but what they also would have loved was the fact that a couple of youngsters late kicked the goals to, to win in the game, Bailey Eustons and Blake Charles. For McLeod, it leaves them in a Interesting position. Then Norton two only lost two games in the home and away season last year. Yeah. Didn't have Lucas Hobbs, Justin White, Brad Leggett, Pat Martin, and, and Hamish Painter all played reserves. They had to attend a, a wedding on the same day, so <laughs> couldn't have timed that one any worse from a McLeod point of view because they're now Norton two now having lost the game that they probably would have had penned in as a win mm. based on I guess uh, Montmorency's form over the past couple of years. Do you reckon they would have won had those five players been in? It's interesting because you'd say yes obviously they've lost by nine points but you look at the outs that Montmorency have as well and, and they'd argue well if, if they had applied yeah. you know, should we be having this discussion so uh, obviously the fact that the Mont players were injured as opposed to you know, having you know, a schedule clash so to speak it, it makes it a bit different there but it, uh, I mean never would I write McLeod off it's, it's two losses in, in a very long year but I guess a cause for concern, as I said, they had only lost the two games going into last year's final series. They've already equaled that after just two rounds this year. So they're a side that's got some work to do coming back from the Easter weekend. Mm. And even with no no Paddy Martin and no, uh, I guess, Hamish Painter and, and Lucas Hobbs who can impact a scoreboard, it didn't really affect... M- McLeod, it, didn't, it looks like they're going to keep on with their sort of mantra from last year as well in, in not having a... Uh, a sole main uh, focal point up front. They want to spread the goal scorers and, and they had 11 goal scorers on the weekend. So again, you lose five of your key players, you know, three of which, as I just mentioned, can probably impact a scoreboard, yet they still managed to get uh, goals out of the players that were coming in to replace those guys too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and did lead in the last quarter as well. So I think they were at nine points in front and, and Mont got them pretty late. The remarkable comeback in the broadcast game at Yulong Reserve, Bandura, up against North Heidelberg. Bandura had that game run and won 47 points in front at the eight-minute mark of the final term. It looked like it was going to be a percentage booster. North Heidelberg made one of the great comebacks and nearly pulled off what would have been one of the great wins across the club's long and proud history. Managed to kick uh, three goals in a row to give themselves some chance. Then the game looked over 20 minutes into the last quarter. Sam Willett got a goal for Bandura, 35 points in front. 23 minutes into the quarter, what happened next was remarkable. Doggies kicked the last five goals, had the ball pushing forward as the siren sounded as well, fell four points short. 
massive result in the end because I know Bandura would be disappointed to fade away, but they go to 1-1, one and one, having beaten now a finalist from last year. Doggy's also at 1-1. One and one. You'd argue that the, from a Bandura point of view, the right team won. They led from start to finish. But gee, if the Doggies had have started 2-0, and zip, having won away to both McLeod and Bandura, wouldn't that have set their season up magnificently? But for the Bulls... They breathe a sigh of relief and get their first win under Andrew Sturgis. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, there's still a big threat North Heidelberg. Um, Shane Harvey with a, a bag on the day and Gary Moorcroft as well, two of the more mercurial forwards that we've got in the competition. You, you always like it when they can go head-to-head and have a shootout. Um, what happened on the on the siren, though, with, with Lee Yeah, Gilbert? it was a uh, carnage, I think. It, we, we From where we were calling from, I think there was a, an umpire's whistle. So I think it was a throw that came out to him. My understanding was because the shot, he had the shot at goal, which did miss. It has to be said miss, but all the players around him had stopped. So I uh, tried to figure it out, but the, the siren sounded as, as well. So I wasn't sure at the time whether the siren sounded and we'd missed it as, as callers. But uh, having said that, the, the game, it was bit, from, from where I was, a bit confusing. He shot mm. at goal, as I said did miss to to the right but um, yeah may have been interesting if if it had gone through but um, nevertheless um, Bandura come away four point victors and and they had some some players that that really impressed Daniel Venditti just showed why he's going to be one of the recruits of the season for for Bandura he was absolutely outstanding through the middle also liked the games of a few of the new faces coming in I thought Brenton Briffer played really well coming across from Whittlesea and also Bailey Thompson as well one of the youngsters playing on a wing Backline held up really well. Guccione's gone back. He's teaming up really well with Brenton Keating. And just some of the ball movement with Bandura. Very patient going forward. Like, have no fear kicking the ball backwards to to make a switch as well. Did that to great effect and and opened up the fat side a number of times. Really well drilled with Andrew Sturgis at the helm as well. And, And for them, as I said... You take any win against North Heidelberg, they'd be disappointed with how they faded out. 14 straight clearances, North Heidelberg won at the end of the game. Mm. But for Bandura, for you know, three and a half quarters, they played some pretty impressive footy. If they play like that across four quarters, they're going to be a very good side again in 2019. Yeah, and, and scoring goals well, 16-8 on the day. And you think there's going to be... Uh, I suppose our early impression of Bandura this season was that there mightn't have been that X-factor anymore with the Grabowski boys who have gone in particular. They were key players in, in just creativity moving forward for, for the Bulls, but that doesn't look like it's going to be uh, an issue. When and you've got a midfield that's got still Matty Dennis in the ruck yeah. and Venditti, Nathan Thomas, David Mitchell, I mean, you're going to get plenty of ball forward. Nathan Thomas, three goals. I feel like his season last year was a bit muted. He had, he'd come back from a shoulder injury that he sustained in the grand final the year before and he was in and out of the team at yeah. times. He, he was great in the weekend. He, he was, as I said, with Venditti in particular, those two drove the midfield and if he's at, you know, you know, full, I guess, uh, ability throughout the course of this year. It's such a damaging player. Yeah. I feel like he's underrated. People, I mean, we know he's good, and other yeah. teams, I'm sure, know he's good, but when you look at all the other elite names at that Bandura, he probably gets shifted down to maybe, you know, fourth or fifth best player, but can still can damage a game like no other player can. Prove that on the weekend as well. Heidelberg's made a great start, and they're just sneaking under the radar. They had a, a big win against Hurstbridge, as we said. It was an earlier start to, I guess, um, ensure that the women's game directly afterwards started at that 4.15 time slot. The Tigers, what I like about them is how prolific they've been with their scoring in the first couple of rounds. Chaz Sargent kicked five at the weekend. They're getting plenty out of the new faces to their side again. Jack Blair and the best players, Anthony Bonadio as well. And uh, Matt Schneering came into the side as a late call-up and just going through a few of the highlights of that game was, was pretty heavily involved as well. So they've moved uh, to a pretty nice spot on the ladder. They're up in first spot. The percentage of 169.63, 0.11 
above Northcote Park. So they take top spot going into, I guess, they could lose it if Greensboro gets a win on the weekend. Greensboro convincing winners first up, but Heidelberg, they'd be wrapped with the way that they've started the year, albeit um, at the weekend, did what was probably expected, given how we saw Hurstbridge lose their first game yeah. and without you know, Braden Shaw, who retired, and, and also Bailey Jordan as well. We probably all thought that Heidelberg would win well, but they've gone on to do that. And, and for Hurstbridge, cause for concern to start the year, Two big losses and a percentage of only or less than 35 after the opening fortnight. And we'll hear from Braden Shaw at the end of this episode as well, the, the retiring uh, veteran of Hurstbridge, so stick around for that. But um, Heidelberg, it all came from that, that second term, wasn't it? Ten goals to two. Game was pretty much over at halftime. But another high-scoring game for them. You, I mean, you can sort of, you know, saw it coming, I suppose, against a Hurstbridge team like this. But... Um, they'll want to keep that rolling. We, we said this last week. They've generally been a defensive side, Heidelberg. They focus on their back line first, but they want to get some big scores on the board too. That always helps, and they've done that again. And, of course, their next game, they're playing McLeod on Anzac Day. Doesn't that one mm. take on extra significance now, given the fact that Heidelberg's 2-0. and zero. McLeod hasn't got a win. Ruse will be desperate, but Tigers may very well go in as the favourites going into that one now. So yeah. that's a massive game coming up on Anzac Day. The final game last weekend, or the weekend that just went, was played at J.E. Moore Park, West Preston Lakeside. Soundly beaten in the end by Northcote Park, 7-12-54 to 13-14-92. Plenty of talking points to come out of that one. Not uh, in the least the fact that the reigning Premier have started the season at home and in Norton 2, having lost to both Heidelberg and Northcote Park in the first two weeks. Northcote Park, their big forwards are absolutely on fire over the first two weeks. Haven't clicked on the same day, but Starsevich kicked five in round one. Ash Close did everything on the weekend. He finished with eight. And unfortunately for West Preston Lakes, had a significant injury potentially coming out of the game. Mark Kovacevic, their dominant ruckman of 2018, best on ground in the grand final. He only played the early parts of the game, went off. We've got our fingers crossed, the club's waiting on scans, that it's nothing serious. But if that is a major injury, it couldn't have been a worse opening fortnight as the club defends its premiership. Yeah, he, he shot up last year to be one of the best Ruckman in in the competition and best um, players in the competition. Yeah. He, he's impact in every game he played. I mean, he was. I think he was in the top five voting in the competition. Best and fairest. Only played a handful of games and the four finals he played for mine. It was just about best on ground in, in all of those. Mm. The exception maybe the prelim when Matt Vincentoria had a day out against yeah. North Heidelberg. Yeah, uh, and and for him not to be there, we know this is a a very ruckman dominant league. So for them to not have that big man. Uh, Hopefully they do, but if the case is that he doesn't play next week or next two weeks, whatever it is, it's it's going to hurt them even more than uh, than you know the more than sort of what they are now with without having a win to start the season. I spoke to uh, a mate who's sort of around the club. I think he played a bit of reserves at West Preston Lakeside, but still very much involved and has has a lot of friends there. Apparently, there's just a bit of a I don't know a, a sort of relaxed feel at the start of this season at West Preston Lakeside. Maybe coming off. That grand final win, you know, some of the lads may be thinking, oh, well, we've done it now. There's well, a few players out too, which doesn't help. Yeah, well, if anything, that can the first two losses can then be a wake-up call and jolt them. I know they're a pretty proud club down there, so they won't take kindly to having a, a poor defence of that premiership. But you're right, there's some significant outs in that side. Adam Villeri hasn't played. Garrett McDonough, Aidan Tilly, Michael Urcolano, who was outstanding last year. And yep. Jalen Thorpe's had VFL commitments as well. Is Sam Glover still playing VFL? Uh, Glover's played in the first two weeks oh, with has. West Preston Lakeside. So the, in those names there, that, and that's a significant part of your side and coupled with the fact that you know, Kovacevic only played you know, early part of the game on the weekend. So they've got 
their work cut out to bounce back. I'm absolutely certain they can do that. Yeah. But they've obviously lost a bit of depth with some of their reserves players going over to Watsonia where they're having a big impact as well. So it hasn't been an ideal start, but it is only two weeks in. So yeah. you've got plenty of time to, to sort things out. And that was one thing that West Preston Lakeside probably, probably had over the other teams is their depth. Last season, they had a lot of players, and not just last season, but even the two or three years going back to that, we'd always look at West Preston Lakeside and say, gee, they've, they've used a lot of players throughout their season. Um, you know, at, at a certain point in their recent history, maybe that was to their detriment. There wasn't that much continuity, but I suppose now it's also benefited them because they've been able to get uh, games into a lot of their squad. But then, as you said, a lot of those players are out as well. So they've gone from having a lot of depth to now having to try and fill the gaps. So hopefully they can bounce back for Northcote Park. Well, it's a dream start, isn't it? They had a big win at home under lights on the Friday night to start the season. Did that against Bandura, in a, obviously a finalist of last year. And then to back that up with a, a road trip to West Preston Lakeside and come away with a convincing win. The fact that their percentage sits at 169, having beaten Bandura and also West Preston Lakeside away, tells you what a great start they've had. And we were fortunate fortunate enough rather to catch up with their coach Matt McLennan who took us through what's been a great opening two rounds for the Northcote Park Football Club. Matt thank you for joining us on the NFNL podcast two and zero heading into the Easter break it's a great start for your side. Definitely mate yeah no look uh, couldn't have asked for a much better start to be quite honest the boys have uh, been very receptive to the changes we've made over the summer and um, yeah two and zip against two quality oppositions um, heading into Easter mate it's uh, it's it's a good place to be. Well, it leads me into my next question. Not only is it two and zero, but you've beaten two sides who well, played off in finals, one of those being the reigning Premier on their deck. Uh, I guess uh, you obviously would have to set yourself for a, for a pretty tough start. Could you have imagined that you'd be two and zip going into that break? Oh, mate, to, to quote an old cliche, look, we're only going one week at a time. So, you know, the Bandura on the Friday night, obviously with the change of personnel and, and things they had there, we were really focused on that. And, and the other advantage of having the Friday night game, it gave me Saturday to go up to um, West Preston's ground and watch um, West Preston play Heidelberg last week. Um, so then the focus this week was real strong. And I sort of thought they were, they, I think they would have been disappointed in, in the way they played against Heidelberg. And we were expecting a you know, really, really tough encounter after the, after that. You know, I, I didn't think West would lose two games at home in a row. Um, uh, you know, to open the season, um, so we were we were really, really prepared um, for for a heavy contest, and um, just you know, it really went our way from the start. Um, you know, it was, it was a tough, tough battle uh, early. Um, you know, they're, they're very well disciplined, well well set up team, but um, um, you know, our boys were just up for it um, and just been improving week to week. So we're more than happy. I guess going into the season, much was made, obviously, of the fact that Jackson Starsevich would be with your club full-time. You, you pair him with Ash Close, and you've got arguably the two best tall forwards in the competition. They've probably each had a, a red-hot day themselves already this year. Starsevich, five goals in round one, and, and Close the, at the weekend, the match winner with eight. Uh, obviously, it's a luxury having those two competing in the same forward line. Oh, it certainly is, mate. Look, we, we know that... Um... Yeah, we you know it's a it's a great advantage for us, and um, you know it's it's been a couple of years in the making. Obviously, um, putting up with their VFL commitments over the last few years, um, you know, it's sort of uh, you know I don't know if it's a it's a fifty fifty scenario with the, with the VFL list. Obviously, worked out really well for West Preston last year. We have a, a high VFL list. Um, you know, we sort of um, just found for club culture and balance for us. It was sort of 
good to try and try and um, get the boys to, to come across full time, and, and we're fortunate enough that they have. Um, mate, I, I think it'd be dangerous to get them firing both in the same week, but um, we just haven't seen that yet. But um, look, we're only early in the season, so um, you know, looking forward to the week that that does happen. In terms of some of the new recruits as well, obviously Kyle Galloway coming in and, and now filling the ruck void that was there from last year and also Charles Lafano as well. Both of those players listed in the best plays in each of the first two weeks. You must be wrapped with the progress they've made since joining the club. Yeah, look, mate, Lafano's just all class. Um, quality ball, you know, quality person. Um, I think as good off the track as he has been on it um, and then just backed it up in the, in the first two games. Kyle's, Kyle's been outstanding. We we already knew we had a really good midfield, obviously, um, you know, with the Perry brothers and uh, Bronick Davies and everybody else that uh, we can get going through there. But, um, you know, as much as Elsa did a terrific job for us, we, we knew we needed to improve in the ruck stocks. Um, Kramer Street's proven uh, come finals that uh, it's, a, it's a big man's ground. And um, so it was, it was definitely an area that we knew we, we needed to improve on. And Kyle's just just been fantastic um, for us. He's um, you know just worked so hard effortlessly. You know he's had uh, Matty Dennis in the first week, and then uh, and then Big Cover in the second week. Unfortunately, Cover went down um, early in the game um, against West, but um, you know it didn't sort of you know can't falter. Kyle for that he just was just kept doing his job in terms of I guess the end of, of last year obviously you guys were in a position to play finals around the midway point of the year and it it really turned south from there I mean how as a club how disappointing was that but then also uh, now to rebound on that I mean how have you how have you found that to, to be able to turn turn the I guess fortunes around so quickly I guess with two definitely. straight wins in 2019 yeah mate you're hitting on some raw emotions here obviously <laughs> at round nine maybe it was second on the ladder um, and, and going really, really well. Um, and unfortunately, we lost we lost ten players in a week. We played the game against Heidelberg. We were about nine goals up at uh, at home at three quarter time, and we ended up winning by two goals. I think they kicked seven goals to zip against Heidelberg. We didn't finish with the bench, and it finished with seventeen players on the ground. Um, that was also the same week Jackson got called up to play VFL, um, and we had a suspension as well. So we lost ten players in a week, and we just found that the whole second half of the season would get two back and lose two or get one back and lose two so we just couldn't couldn't get a, a good run but what it did give us is the opportunity to, to bleed a lot of kids give them a lot of opportunities yeah we didn't get the results for, for 2018 that we would have liked and, and hoped for and had set up for um but it just put us in a good position this year we're just with a bit of depth and even on on saturday um you know we had a, had a couple of players go down um and, and not available Bryn barnes webb went to new zealand uh Brock McLennan did his hammy, uh, just a light one. He'll be right for the next game. But um, and uh, and Michael Neldrick had a, had a wedding on, so all three players out from round one to round two. But the, the three players that come in were all um, you know under 19s from last year that had played a, a, a bit of senior footy. Um, and mate, they were they were great on Saturday. They were really good. So it's, it sort of it's just helped our depth. Um, and therefore, you know, for me as a coach, it's just given me a couple of extra options that we perhaps wouldn't have had if everything had got, had gone our way last year. In terms of what's to come from here, obviously we have the Easter weekend coming up. You've obviously built some momentum. How do you go about making sure that that doesn't drop off when you return in, in two weeks' time and, and take on the Hurstbridge Footy Club at home? Yeah, yeah, look, one part of the, again, um, reflecting on last year's results um, and getting you know, quite a few soft tissue injuries, we, we recruited um, Loris Bertolacci back to the club. Um, he got a job at the Shanghai Institute of Sport and um, one of his uh, understudies, or understudies years ago, but he's now also a strength and conditioning coach at uh, Melbourne City, uh, Liam Arnett. He's, he's come across and just got the boys super fit over summer. And he's like, they're really enjoying their, their physicality and where they're at. 
Um, so he's he's really looking forward to <laughs> the week off um, football game wise for next weekend. He's got a pretty big week ahead, and so he's got all the numbers and figures and knows where the boys physically need to be over this period uh, to get us ready for obviously Hurstbridge at home and then lower at lower. So um, I've sort of looked at it, you know, as, as, as the next couple of weeks block before the um, BMFL um, representative games. So we're yeah, mate. Look, we've definitely got to keep the the, the foot down and, and just keep keeping strong mentally and physically over this period. It's definitely not a time to relax. Well, uh, we appreciate your time again. Congratulations on the great start to the year. Uh, may it continue going on after the break as well. And as we said, uh, well done, and really appreciate your time on the NFNL podcast. Appreciate it, Sammy, mate. Take care. Great to hear from Matt McLennan there. He's Northcote Parkside, certainly flying across the opening fortnight of the 2019 NFNL season. Jordan Canales will now jump into A-plus Labor Solutions Division 2 at the weekend. There were wins for Watsonia, Whittlesea, Thomastown and Ban Newell. And I mentioned Watsonia from the outset. We talked about them really briefly in the intro as well. But what a great story for a club that only won one game all of last year to go into the Easter weekend atop the ladder and with a percentage of 186. They're certainly enjoying life under George Latouf. Absolutely, yeah. Big turnaround so far this season from Watsonia, which... I'm sure they're very glad about. They've been in Division Two now for what this is their third season, I think. So absolutely, um, yeah. Time to time to really sort of knuckle down and start notching up some wins. They've they've felt out the the lay of the land. They know what Division Two is all about now. So now it's time to start putting that into practice. And and two good wins early up. St Mary's last week. Um, they're the Division Three team coming up. So maybe Watsonia always the more experienced outfit in that in that clash there. But Epping. A big win, 74 points on the weekend. And Epping were a team who were very plucky last season. And they would probably win some of these games, Epping. They would even pinch results off the bigger teams in Division 2. So for Watsonia to come out and get that win away is very important. And um, there's still a lot of big opponents to come in the coming weeks for Watsonia. They've probably played two of the, the lower-range teams in Divi 2. However, you've got to win those games too. Absolutely. And, and, the, and the Saints are doing it. And when you think that, as as we said last year, they only won one game. Yeah. I mean, you know, just building winning culture again is, is so important for them. So, you know, all credit to them. Adrian Alfonsi's made a massive difference coming back into the side. Missed basically all of last year through injury. He's already kicked, I think it's 10 goals in the opening two weeks or nine and he's equal top of the goal-kicking table. He's been huge. Michael Perfetto's been outstanding coming across from West Preston Lakeside. He's been their best player in, in each of the first two weeks and you know players like Hayden Mitchell coming back into the club as well. You can see why there's been improvement there but they've been the feel-good story. Two really games of significance for mine were played on the weekend. One was the Twilight game, Banyul up against Altham. Banyul has been touted as as the, I guess, massive challenger for this year's premiership against an Altham side, which, which if it continues as it did last year, you have to have right in your calculations as well. Banyul led from, from start to finish in that game there. Brent Stanton had a massive impact. He kicked four. James Crusaratus kicked five as Banyul won 14-13-97 to Altham 7-9-51. You have to say, Bears were basically at full strength. Altham didn't have the Curry boys. Nick Rybout, who's only a youngster, but was best in round one. He was a laid out as well. And, and they also didn't have, I guess, one of their, their linchpins in the back line in, in Matty Keys as well. So there's work to, or room for improvement for Altham. But Banyol, that's a massive statement first up. And obviously they had the buy in round one. Were primed for this twilight game at home and, and they really delivered. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, it's a big statement from Banyol and... They'll want to get the, um, I think, the early mental advantage this season over Eltham. Everyone 
would probably assume that Eltham would come in and, and just, you know, be the, the dominant side again in, in Division 2. They were the team on top of the ladder last year in a, a pretty competitive top end of, of Divi 2. So Banyul want to try and turn that around and turn it in their favour. And they've certainly done that in the first uh, their first game of the season, a 46-point win. Um, and you look at just the goal scorers as well. James Crusarada is always going to be there. Uh, Brent Stanton, great player. Um, and only four goal scorers, though, on the day for, for Eltham, which is a bit of a concern. Yeah, absolutely. It's something they'll have to address going forward. I mean, Michael Steele's a great great player inside 50, but you can't be you know, reliant on, on one player mm. to keep kicking you a winning score. I guess the other thing of significance for Banyol was the fact they unveiled quite a few of their new faces as well. Obviously, Jack Langford's back at the club after a long stint at McLeod, but he played on the weekend. So did Tim Martin, Mitch Lovell, and Reuben Blackmore-Moore. Scott Gumbleton didn't play, though, so they've still got room for improvement themselves. Yeah. We know that Ricky Dyson is potentially available when Essendon's VFL uh, commitments don't clash with Banyuls, and, and Stanton's obviously a, a watch-and-see as well week by week, but he made an immediate impact. The other game as well was played at the Whittlesea Showgrounds. Whittlesea, I mean, going into the year, my top two was Banyul and Altham. I thought they would be the two standout sides, and... Uh, Whittlesey and, and Diamond Creek I, I thought could be the, the, the next ones in, in the chain so this mm-hmm. one maybe was a challenge for you know who's who's the next one challenging and really Whittlesey gets the win but it's hard to take away you know too much from it in terms of the fact that you know they were, they were ahead when the siren sounds it was such a close battle Diamond Creek you know led for the opening three quarters or at least at, at the end of the end of the break of, of the quarter but never by big margins it was five points at half time seven at three quarter time I guess the significant thing to come out of it, we'll see, great for them, they get the win, but they've got a couple of injuries. Captain Riley Dyson's hurt an ankle, will be out for quite some time, and Clancy Bland looks to have escaped serious injury, or a significant layoff anyway, but he did hurt himself, and for Diamond Creek, Ruckman Josh Marchbank in his first game for the season was injured. They already lost Tom Bennett in the opening game as well, so injuries starting to add up for Diamond Creek, but I think what we learned from this game here is given the, the quality of, of the display that both sides put on is both of those two sides are going to be pretty hard to beat throughout the course of this year. Yeah, and hopefully it's it's this close amongst all the top contenders um, throughout uh, throughout this season. 11 points, 5 points, 6 points, 3 points. They were the margins at all the quarter breaks uh, and then full-time as well. Um, again, another spread of goal kickers from Whittlesey. Jaron Murphy, we mentioned him last he week. He had a great game, Murphy. You look at the, really Especially late in the game, he was driving them forward. The other one that played a, a really good game is Xavier Tomasi, and he's you know he's right up there when you talk about the elite players in A-plus Labor Solutions was Division 2. Was Ferris from last season? Was last yeah. season. Played really well in Division 1, and in his first two games, looks that class above. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely one of the, the better players in, in Division 2. Um it's uh, yeah, it's it's a big win for Whittlesey. Diamond Creek. You hope it doesn't doesn't sort of deter them that much. That they're, they're a team that should be around the finals race. So this is a little backward step for them. Maybe just not getting that win. If they if it had turned in their favour, that's a, a crucial away win. But it goes to the Eagles. Yeah, well they're one and one with a yeah you know, pretty two pretty close results in the first two weeks, but both played away from home. So I think they'd be I mean disappointed to lose, obviously, but they'd be content to at least take one win away from the opening two, having mm-hmm. not played a home game just yet and, and plenty to work on there. So they look like they're they're a better outfit than last year when disappointingly they missed out on the finals. Um, just uh, touching on the other two games, as we said earlier, Watsonia far too good for Epping, as was Thomastown against St Mary's. Thomastown responded 
in the way we, we thought that they would, albeit probably even more impressing. They were very dominant in their victory over St Mary's. So Thomas Dan, disappointing first up, responded outstandingly, but for Epping and St Mary's, work to do. Both of those sides languishing without a victory and with pretty lowly percentages. So yeah. they've they've got something to something to work on after the Easter break. Yeah, just the one goal after half time for St Mary's and Thomas Town, they had their mark on this game at, at half time. It was five goals to 12. And you look at uh, just who inf- influenced the game as well for Tomo and um, some of the, the normal names on, the, uh, on the, the goal scoring charts didn't quite have that same impact, which is probably a, you know, maybe a good thing for Thomas Town because it meant that other players stepped up. And now you know there's a bit of variety there amongst the Bears. Rizzolio kicked four goals. Traditionally, the, the big forward up there, Jacob Ossiduro, just had the one, but a good spread of goal kickers. And Thomas Town, hopefully they can take this and run with it. Good, I mean, look, at their, their best players were all basically amongst the best, but good to see Lawrence Piccolo in there as well, a youngster that's come across to, to them this year. Um, first season of senior football, and, and great that he's performing really well uh, in the start of his senior football career. Into Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3. And looking through the results, you'd argue that the favourite won every game. Maybe Murder and Kilmer wasn't a, a significant favourite going into that game. But looking at the top end of the ladder, Panton Hill, they're two in zip, as are Lorimer and Heidelberg West. Panton Hill with a percentage of 398, if you don't <laughs> mind, after two rounds. They were the favourite going in against South Morang. The, the Lions lost some players from the first game, which was significant. Ty Hall and also Matt Trim didn't play. They had a great win coming from behind to beat Kilmore, but 166 to 42, yeah. the Redbacks making a massive statement on the day. Yeah, I think you can probably expect them to have, or ex- expected them to have the big win in round one against Old Eltham Collegians. They're still finding their feet, which is fair enough, but this was a game you definitely would have predicted to be a lot tighter. South Morang have always been there and thereabouts in, in Division 3. They've been the perennial preliminary finalists for about four years in a row. Um, should have put up a much better contest there, South Morang, I think. There's, they'd be disappointed. They were undermanned, but they'd be very disappointed. Uh, yeah, they, they were undermanned, but I feel like there's more... There's probably more... We're more disappointed, I think, in South Morang than we are impressed in, in Panton Hill, I think. We, we expect Panton Hill to be good, so that was a given, and they performed... They lived up to that expectation on the weekend, but we expect South Morang to be better, and they didn't live up to the expectation. Looking at Panton Hill's best players, Joel McClellan played his first game, got perfect uh, perfect 10 in the coaches' <laughs> votes. What an impact. And then you look at you know, Matty Fowler, Reese Boyd, and Mitch Anderson, all in the best of players of... The usual suspects. Played higher levels of footy as well, and... And, uh, yeah, certainly Panton Hill, first two weeks, couldn't have been any more emphatic in their victories. That's Reese Boyd and 10 goals to start the season? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, it is spot on. There's actually one player who actually leads him, though, and that's Josh Williamson at Lorimer. So we'll touch yeah. on them as well. They eventually proved too good for Layla, albeit Layla putting up a, a decent showing. It was only 17 points at half time. Lorimer put the foot down after the main break, but Josh Williamson kicked five. So did Jackson Cecil. Williamson's five followed a bag of eight first up against Reservoir. So, Florima, we expected them to be one of the sides to challenge this year. They've beaten the, the, the two sides that were bottom two last year. They've done what they've had to do. But, it's, I mean, you look at Laylor, I mean, it's in the end, it blew out. It was a 64-point defeat. The last quarter was four goals to nil. So, they're within, you know, seven goals at three-quarter time, which isn't a bad effort against the Lorima side we expect to challenge. Reservoir as well, I mean, their first half against Heidelberg West, particularly the first quarter... 
you know, it, it, we said it last week, it's all about, you know, small steps f- for them, but yep. proving, I mean, they fell away late, but, uh, the, you know, they're proving that they're more, much more competitive than they were this time last year. So while they were soundly beaten in the end, the Mustangs going down to Heidelberg West in the end by 11 goals, they're, they're showing showing improvement and some of their newer faces like Donovan Stewart among their best players as well, they, they are making an impact on that side. Sam McDowell continues to play good footy for Heidelberg West just did what they had to do and it was their key players again, Coulson, Mickey and the Moore boys you know, having a bit, pretty big impact on that game. Absolutely, yeah. Velios getting on the scoreboard as well. Four goals, a new name this season to the Hawks. Yeah, absolutely. It, it certainly is and I guess for them, two and zero. Last year they started you know, pretty slowly, lost the first three. It's a pretty good position to be in, especially, I mean, did what they had to in the weekend. That win against Mernda first up was really important given the fact that if as we said last week, if they're going to be playing finals, they're the kind of sides they have to be beating. So to be 2-0, and zero, they're in a pretty good position, Heidelberg West. And um, if we look at, I guess, what's to come for the Hawks, their next game, uh, which will be played on Saturday, April 27, away to South Morang. We know South Morang's a proud club. They're going to want to bounce back, but it's Heidelberg West's first opportunity against the 2018 finalists to yep. prove themselves. So that's a big game for them. If they start 3-0, and zero, they could very well be uh, you know, on the way to, to breaking that long finals drought. It's a good gauge for, for Heidelberg West, that game. Absolutely. And, and the final game from the weekend that's just gone was probably the most significant because for mine, there's only space for one of Mernder and Kilmore uh, to be in the top four at season's end. Both had losses in round one and it was Kilmore with a start-to-finish advantage in that game there, winning by four goals. I have to give Moon the credit, because that one looked like it could blow out at three-quarter time. Yep. It was hard, uh, Kilmore, rather, leading by you know the best part of seven goals, and Moonda, you know showed some real fight in the last quarter, kicked six goals to two and reduced the final margin to 24 points. But the fact that it was at home is, is a concern for Moonda. Now they're, they're Norton 2, having lost to Heidelberg, West and Kilmore, who are two sides for mine, if they were going to play finals, mm. their sides, are, they're going to be in the mix against them as well. So for Kilmore, they're on the board. And a nice spread of goal kickers there as well. Nick Zaharakis, Shane Skidmore and Michael McCulloch all kicking three goals. Jeremy Topham continuing his good form from last year as well. So that's a really important one for Kilmore to get their season going. Yeah, so as you said, that that last quarter, they it certainly made it look a bit more flattering. But you look earlier into the um, into the match and, you know, the one goal three to, to half-time, that's that's really poor for Miranda, especially at home. And then just the three goals to, to three-quarter time, something needs to, to change there. That's, that's a, a slow start to the season for Miranda. Um, and and like we said in back in Division Two with Watsonia, you've, you've just got to beat the teams around you and, and notch up those wins that you're expected to get. Mernda have to do the same here in Divi Three, but they're just not Heidelberg West, as you said. Kilmore now, those are the teams that they're in direct competition with in that middle part of the table, and and they've just they've fallen on both times, and uh, something just needs to change. I know it's I don't want to get too panicky at round two, but that's that's a that's a pretty disheartening performance. And for Moonda, their next game's pretty challenging as well. Anzac Day, away to Lorimer. There's two games in Heidelberg Golf Club, Division 3, on Anzac Day. Reservoir up against Laylor, so it'd be good to see one of those two sides open their account in 2019. Kilmore's next game on April 27th, Saturday. Really good opportunity there. They travel to Altham College to take on the old Altham Collegians. Jordan, the first round of the women's grading also wrapped up at the weekend. Of course, as we said previously, first four rounds of the women's competition to be graded 
and then the clubs to break up into three senior uh, th- three senior divisions, the same number we had last year as well. Heidelberg made a really impressive start, as we said, 26 goals in the opening game. And there was some, some pretty good individual efforts in that as well. Um, looking through the, the score sheet as well, Sarah Barlow kicking uh, eight goals in the game. Also, Ashley Riley kicking seven. So they've combined for 15. Uh, a great start to, to life in the women's competition for Heidelberg. I think for mine, the most significant result took place out at Waruna Oval, where Bendigo, the twice reigning Premier, we knew that they'd had a list overhaul and lost a lot of their Premiership side, but they came up against VU Western Spurs, who they've beaten in the past two preliminary finals, or the VU Western Spurs top side, the three Spurs sides, of course, this year, but 99-0 to zero in VU Western Spurs' favour. So we knew for Bendigo they probably weren't going to be quite to the level that they've been in seasons gone by when they've obviously won the first two premierships, but that's a significant result. So VU Western Spurs certainly making an early statement. Kerry Clark booting six goals in that game there, but probably expected VU to probably be the favourite going in given the change at the Thunder, but that's a, a significant result, winning by 99 points. Other winners, as we go back to the opening round, uh, or opening weekend, which was, of course, played last week, first game was under lights where Altham proved too good for St Mary's. The following day, it was Diamond Creek Women's 1, defeating West Preston Lakeside, and then the weekend just gone, wins for VU Western Spurs to Heidelberg, Darabin 2, who defeated Montmorency 2. The script was flipped in the main game, or the Division 1 game between the sides, with Darabin, um, uh, sorry, Montmorency 1 getting the win over Darabin 1. Greensboro won a tight game against Lorimer. That was the closest game of the weekend. <coughs> Greensboro 2-4-16, defeated Lorimer 2-1-13. South Morang started the year with a win. They defeated VU Western Spurs 3 comfortably. Bandura remains undefeated at women's in women's football. They had a massive win over Diamond Creek women's 2. As we said, VU Western Spurs far too good for Bendigo Thunder and Wallen overcame Reservoir in the first game between those two clubs. Uh, two goals straight, 12 Reservoir, Wallen 5-4-34. And great to see such a big crowd out at Chris Park as well for those two mm. sides playing their inaugural game as well. So no action in the women's this weekend, but there'll be plenty more to come the weekend after fixtures will be released shortly at nfnl.org.au. So make sure you get along and, uh, and get those ahead of the second round of action in the graded competition. Before we sign off on today's episode, we mentioned in the intro, Jordan, the one of the legends of our league, unfortunately, has hung up the boots. Braden Shaw, the two-time premiership captain of Bandura, also a premiership captain of Hurstbridge, twice best on ground in grand finals. It's been... Yeah. Well, it's hard to find a career that's been more decorated than that. Blair Harvey's probably one that springs to mind that can to, can match that accolades and, and maybe surpass it as well. But one of the most revered and, and highly regarded players in our competition. Unfortunately, uh, it finished in a disappointing manner. He was um, knocked out in, uh, in, an, in a marking contest in the opening game against Greensboro and he was considering pulling stumps uh, as it was at the end of last year and just thought that enough was enough. Unfortunately, we know that the uh, serious nature of, of head knocks these days and, and what we know. So uh, Braden Shaw has announced that he will retire immediately and heading, uh, I guess it's always a, a tough decision to make, but he was very kind after making that decision last Thursday to give up his time and, and have a chat to us and just go over what's been one of the great careers in the Northern Football Nepal League. He will be a player that's sadly missed. I'm sure we'll still catch, you, catch him around the trap. Such a football person from a great football family as he'll, well. He'll stay involved. Absolutely. Definitely. So 
we're fortunate enough to have a chat with him and here's Braden Shaw and he goes over what has been a great career with both the Bundura Football Club and the Hurstbridge Football Club. Braden, obviously a pretty difficult week for yourself, culminating in, in making the decision to retire from, from playing footy. Can you just uh, give us an insight into how hard it's been for yourself to, I guess, hang up the boots and, and, and call an end to what's been a great career? Yeah, thanks, Sam. Look, uh, extremely difficult, mate. Um, it's been a, uh, a tough week uh, mentally and, and obviously physically as well. Um, what, yeah, probably... Obviously, for the for the family, obviously the wife and kids, and who were obviously at the game, and um, you know, seeing myself go down like that, and it's obviously not the first time that, that, that this has happened. And um, what, what probably a few people don't know about myself that I, I suffer from from epilepsy, um, which didn't help the cause. Um, obviously, on Saturday being knocked out, and my my form of epilepsy that I have is is caused by when I gain concussion and. And sleep deprivation, which doesn't help the cause. Um, and then obviously, yeah, so copying that on Saturday and then, um, obviously the after effects of that, mate, was, was enough. And obviously, yeah, at the, uh, the tender age of 33, I've been through enough of that and I've got three, uh, beautiful young children that I've got to look after now. And, and obviously, yeah, a young family I've got to look after. They're my main priority. And to be honest, mate, it's, uh, it was still a very, very tough decision. Um, but one that I'm, I'm pretty content with now, to be honest. So. Very tough telling the boys last night. I um, got obviously pretty emotional, um, but once I uh, once I'd made the decision, um, I, it was the right decision to make in the end. So all good. If we can, if you don't mind, if we take it all the way back to, I guess, when you, you first started playing footy and, and even going back to, to when you were a junior, obviously, um, your old man, absolute legend at, at, you know, Collingwood Games record holder, premiership player in, in 1990, premiership captain as well. Uh, as a junior coming through the ranks, how was it for you, obviously, having that, that tag as, as being Tony's son and obviously you obviously played through, you know, to get to, to Collingwood's list as well, but as an actual junior, how was it carrying that mantle? Yeah, look, it didn't really faze me too much, to be honest, Sam. I um, I started football probably a little bit later than most most folks. I actually loved basketball. Um, I was a basketball fanatic, um, so I probably started. I think I started when I was only when I was thirteen. Compared to some blokes, you know, start when they're tackers, probably eight, seven or eight years old. So I started a little bit later, um, but I wasn't too phased by the pressure. And, and look, Dad, uh, Dad's always been a massive, obviously, supporter of mine. He never put any pressure on me at all to even play football. Um, he always been a massive support, um, helped me out in any way possible, gave me advice whenever I needed, never was never one of those pushy pushy dads or anything like that. He um he just supported me and helped me and um just was obviously a massive a massive influence on, on my career going forward. So yeah, look, you know, it was although having the um the sure name sometimes, you know, it can be a bit of a or no, or having a famous name can be a bit of a burden. It never really worried me too much, to be honest. To be honest, mate. Obviously, you went through the the junior pathway and ended up on the Collingwood list, which I'm sure was a dream come true as well. Given even though you've said that, obviously, um, it took a while to get into footy as it was, but. Can you just take us back to that time? Obviously, you know, injuries curtailed what could have been um, for yourself, but can you just give us an insight into what it was like playing or, or being drafted by the club where your dad was an absolute legend? Yeah, look, it was. Um, I was obviously absolutely wrapped to go uh, to be picked up and very, very fortunate to be drafted under the father-son rule to, to Collingwood with Dad and, and, you know, most of my... Uh, where my uncles played as well. Um, and then obviously, yeah, with my, where my cousins 
played. Um, I got drafted the same year Heath got drafted, so we both went there together. So I was I was pretty comfortable going there, and obviously growing up there as well, I knew a lot about the club and 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 the, and the people there. Um, I did suffer from a fair few injuries, uh, you know, prior to getting drafted, a couple of um, shoulder reconstructions and some ankles as well, and then and then when I was drafted, um, my first year there was. Was okay. I played most of the games, and then again I had a shoulder reconstruction later in that year. And then my second year, um, again I suffered from another another ankle reconstruction, only a couple of rounds in. And, and to be honest, yeah, that that was enough for them to say there that that was enough. They didn't need to see any more. So I was a bit obviously upset at the time, but um, you know that's football. Um, you move on, and and you move on to uh, to you know to bigger and better things, and you, and that's what you have to do. So and to be honest, and um, without that kind of in the bum, I guess um, I wouldn't have gone to to Bandura, um, where you know where I spent a lot of a lot of my years playing footy with some of the you know some of the best people I've ever met and some of my greatest mates, um, and then obviously on to Hurstbridge, where you know exactly the same thing, where I've met some of the the most finest people I've ever played with and and worked with as well. So you know it's it's uh, it's been a great journey, a great journey, Sam. So I can't I can't complain at all, to be honest, mate. Your time at Bundura, you, you etched forever in, in that club's history. Obviously, when you got there, you played in a few grand finals, hadn't had that success, and then 2011, you finally break through, you, you break the drought, and you lift the, the Premiership Cup with Phil Malin. Can you just take us through, I guess, your time at Bundura, but also through that, that 2011 season where you finally held up that Premiership Cup? Yeah, look, it's, um, you know, I, I arrived at Bundura where they'd, they'd obviously lost a few Grand Finals in a row to the uh, to that Heidelberg side that was just such a powerhouse. Um, so I knew how much it meant to them to try and get that flag. Um, we got obviously recruited pretty heavily, and obviously uh, you know I got um, got Cam Cloak down there as one of my one of my greatest mates, which obviously did help the cause. Um, but also you know we had we had a fantastic side that year, and under Phil, I think Phil. Was just, you know, he was a tremendous coach. He did turn the tide on that club. He he, he structured us up well. He was a he was he was a hard coach, but he um he got the he got the most out of us, to be honest. Um, he uh, got the most out of his players. And look, it was just such an enjoyable club, just such a great place to play football. Um, I I just enjoyed every minute of it. And I think that's why I love the place so much. I I enjoyed going to every training session. I enjoyed every game. Turning up there on a Saturday, the people were just. It was just yeah, it was just a magnificent place to play. I, I was so so grateful and for them to give me the opportunity to play at that football club and to win that flag in 2011 and repay that um, for that football club so they could see that success and see that cup come back to uh, to Yulong. It was just um, that was a that was a uh, a night that I'll uh, I'll never forget. I'll tell you right now. And then in 2013, I guess you, you produced one of the great grand final wins as a football club, coming from seven goals, or it might have actually been eight goals behind against Montmorency. Yourself, you yeah. you know took home the, the best on ground medallion as well. Can you just take us into that day? I think most people probably thought that it was done and dusted midway through that third quarter, but you somehow turn it around and, and win by five goals. I mean, where does that rate in terms of the games you've played in and, and the achievements that you've accomplished? Oh, look, Sam, it's easily easily the big, biggest and best game I've ever been involved with. Uh, the amount of people I've spoken to about that game or have spoken to me about that game is, is just been phenomenal. That was that was ridiculous. <laughs> um, we should honestly we should never have won that game. Um, we were we were horrible. <laughs> we were horrible for for pretty much for three quarters. 
and then we produced probably one of the greatest quarters of football you've ever seen. Um, but I guess the great thing about that group that we had is we, I think we did it earlier on in the season where we kicked a 12-goal quarter against Heidelberg at Heidelberg and we won. So we knew we knew we could do it and everyone knows at, at Preston when you've got that breeze behind you, anything can happen. Um, and we just, yeah, we thundered home. Um, in the end, we probably could have won by more. I think we kicked nine goals nine in that last quarter or whatever it was. And I think I missed a couple of sitters myself, to be honest, Sam, but that, um, that is easily the, um, that's easily the best game I've ever been involved with. Um, we, you know, to be honest, yeah, to win two flags with that side that we had, we probably should have. Yes. Um, we were probably disappointed the year before that we didn't go any further. Um, so it was a bit of redemption there, but. Oh, mate, that was that was an amazing comeback, and uh, yeah, to play that to play that flag uh, with Thunder it was a bit of a bit of a cherry on top, to be honest, to win another one with them there. And then two years later, I remember talking to you at the time. You said it was probably one of the the hardest footy decisions you've had to make to to walk away from Bandura and start yep. afresh at Hurst Bridge. Can you just take us through the decision at that time to to make the switch and, and move over with Michael Ryan and I think also Mick Farrell at the time as well and, and go and play with Hurst Bridge. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a, obviously it was, it was a very, very difficult decision for me to do at the time. My, uh, my work commitments were taking over a fair bit. Um, obviously my family was extending at the time. So I've obviously got the, the three young children now and, um, just my commitments. I didn't know what commitment I was going to be able to give to division one at the time. Um, so I made a really, really hard decision to, to move to Hurstbridge. And there was another couple of reasons I went over there as well as, to, uh, to have the opportunity to play with my, my brother-in-law, Jared Tilly, um, who's also one of my best mates. Um, John Cruiser is one of my best mates. And also, um, yeah, um, Michael Farrelly and and, uh, and Michael Ryan as well. It was I just wanted to do that. Um, you know, I've obviously played with Jared and, and John Bandura, but we, we, me and Jared had never had the opportunity to play in a, uh, in a premiership together. And we thought if we all go over there, we might have had that opportunity and um, would you know it <laughs> a couple of years later um, we did that and it was um, that was a really really special moment especially for our family um, yeah to be able to share that with Jared and, and John and those boys um, you know something I'll never I'll never ever forget it's one of the most special moments I've ever had in football for sure on that day itself you again take home the best on ground medallion I mean for yourself to win three premierships and, and to twice be named the best player on the ground how, how does that rate for you on, on an individual level? Oh, very lucky. Very lucky, I think, on that day. And now the boys, we've always spoken about this. I think, of our, I, think I pinched it from a few on that day. <laughs> I think Riley Reading, I think Riley Reading was, was very, very good on that day. I think Tom Grimes' job on that day um, was, was huge. Um, there was a, a couple of boys who easily probably got a, uh, could, could have got it in front of myself. So I consider myself very, very lucky. But I've never... Look, Sam, I've never, I've never played footy for those sort of things. My teammates will tell you different because I remind them all the time of how many times I've done it, but that's okay. Um, but I've, honestly, I, the main reason why I play this game is, is to play with my mates, um, to enjoy myself. Um, you know, the local footy is just such a, it's such a great game. You know, it's such an enjoyable game. And, um, you know, that, that team success is what I crave, that, that grand final success to be able to lift that cup up and, enjoy those next few days with the teammates um, after a long hard season it's just it's just the best feeling mate so getting those individual things at the end you know yes they're great but um but winning those grand finals and lifting that cup up there's nothing 
nothing that compares to that, mate. Nothing at all. And as you look back in a career that's been, you know, spanned more than 250 games and, you know, more than a decade as well, who's probably the greatest influence uh, on, on your career uh, as it all now unwinds and, and comes to an end? Oh, look, easily, easily, Dad. Um, yeah, he's, uh, you know, I, I look I look and see what, what he did when I was, obviously, when I was a kid growing up and going to every single one of his games. Um, and, and watching him and admiring him with what he did, and we're you know we're obviously very very similar in the way we we sort of play, and and you know what he did with the body he's got and the, and the body that I've got in in the now modern game, you know it's a, it's a quick game now, Sam. I, I, uh, from what I remember from the first half of the game on, on the weekend against Greensboro, um, they, they are they are a silky you know very slick unit, um, so he. You know, he he taught me he taught me so many things, but not only just about football, just about being, you know, a, a good person, a respectful person. Um, yeah, he, he he taught me everything, to be honest, mate. So he, he's been my main influence by far. And in terms of, I guess, coaching down the track, I know you're involved as an assistant with Hurstbridge this year. Will you look to continue that? And do you see that maybe down the track as something you might aspire to be as a as a senior coach down the line? Yeah, look, it is, it is something I am. I've obviously told the boys, and I will. I will continue, obviously. Yeah, being an assistant coach with uh, with Jared um, this year at Hurstbridge, there's no doubt about that. I, I want to help this group out as much as I possibly can. I, I love this football club. I think they've got a lot to offer. I think they've got some fantastic young talent there that can be tapped into um, if they want to work hard enough, um, which I think they absolutely do. I think over the preseason they've shown how much they want to be in this division and how much they want to grow in this division. So I'm going to. I'm going to throw my commitment behind Jared and and um, and help these boys out for the rest of the year. And um, if something comes from that later on, then fantastic. But at the moment, my full commitment is behind these boys to to push them up the ladder and, and hopefully get them some more wins and get them some success, mate. But um, yeah, I'm just going to enjoy myself, mate. I'm going overseas for a, for a few weeks now just to uh, relax and spend some time with the family. And um, yeah, when I come back, and I'm going to uh, yeah get back into it and see where we go from there. Well, Braden, uh, congratulations on everything you've achieved uh, on the football front. Uh, it's been fantastic watching you play in, in your time in the Northern Football Netball League. I think your dad probably summed it up perfectly. I think in a tweet he sent out overnight, it's, you got obviously all the footy accolades, but the fact that there's probably no one out there to say a bad word about you probably tells you how highly you're regarded within the league. So good luck with whatever's to come, and uh, we still hope to see you around the traps. Cheers for that, Sam. Thanks a lot. Well, great insight there from Braden Shaw. As we said throughout the interview, he will be missed throughout the Northern Football Netball League. Being one of the, the great players to watch in, in our time with the league, hasn't he, Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a champion of of uh, the Northern Footy Netball League. And um, I think back to some of my sort of uh, more fonder memories of, of Braden Shaw on the field. And you can't go past, you know, what he spoke about just then. The 2013 grand final with Bandura led the charge for the Bulls in that game in, in one of the most memorable games I think we'll ever see um, Samuel that, that's um, yeah and a great leader as well and that's uh, certainly a major highlight of his career amongst many yeah well deserves uh, probably deserves to go at it in a, in a bit better fashion than what he did but what a career it's been and it was great insight to, to get from him as well. He's been yeah, a star of our competition. So hopefully we still see him in, in a coaching capacity, which I, I think, uh, given his nature, we, we yeah. very well will see down the track. Jordan, it is obviously the Easter weekend coming up. There is one game to be played. That's the Meadows Greyhounds Division 1 game. 
Friday afternoon at Greensboro War Memorial Park. It's Greensboro up against Lowell Plenty, two round one winners. So we do encourage everyone to, to get along and show support. The game will also be broadcast on 88.6 Plenty Valley FM from 2 p.m. And then, of course, that's the headline game. We get a weekend off, so everyone tuning in, we do wish you a very happy Easter. It's a very quiet week with no netball, no junior mm. football, and, and just the one game of, of senior men's action. But Stress-free weekend for you, Samuel. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully so. And then, of course, it's a big weekend to, to follow after that yeah. because it's a big day of Anzac Day football in the senior men's competition. Uh, of course, on, on the Thursday, April 25, netball returns the following day on the Friday, and we also have the return of, of the juniors competition that following weekend. And, uh, you, you know, the men's fixture, as we said, spread across two days. Women's footy as well, um, kicking off as round two. So it's a, a quieter weekend that, that leads into what will be one of the busier weekends of the year. So, uh, of course, as, as you always can, keep up to date with everything at www.nfnl.org.au. Of course, you can keep up via Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And as we uh, we really encourage everyone to do, you can hear this podcast via the website nfnl.org.au, but also uh, subscribe via the uh, the podcast on on iTunes and and also through your podcast app on on your smartphones as well. So uh, hopefully get as many people listening to this as well. Of course, throughout the course of the year, hoping to have as as many guests through and. Hopefully, it's some pretty entertaining listening. So we uh, we <laughs> hope that uh, you, you do enjoy it. Jordan, thank you for your time again. Pleasure. Look forward to doing it all again next week. And he's hoping for a great game on Good Friday. Absolutely. Should be a good one. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You have been tuning in to the NFNL Podcast. 